0: Okay, hello, this is uh, Professor Tofano, and I will be talking about Chapter 5, Listening to Speeches from the Textbook Public Speaking Handbook, 6th Edition, BBMBB. Okay, so we'll start off with uh, learning objectives, and then also the outline, and then I'll chat about uh, the chapter, highlighting uh, some different um, ideas. I won't read every single thing in the chapter you should and uh, I would prefer you to not only read um, and also listen to the audio so objectives there's four of those List and describe the five barriers to effective listening Two: identify and implement strategies for becoming a better listener and then three identify and implement strategies for improving your critical listening and critical thinking skills and four use criteria to effectively and appropriately evaluate speeches and the outline for the chapter is uh, one, overcoming barriers to effective listening, two, how to become a better listener, three, improving critical listening and thinking skills, and four, analyzing and evaluating speeches. So, um, interesting on um, page 59, it gives a breakdown, a pie chart on figure 5.1. It says a typical student spends about 11% of his or her communication time writing, 17% reading, 17% speaking and 55% listening. So it is true that most typical college experiences are students um, doing a lot of listening. I'm not so sure that's a uh, um, a something that should be that way but uh, I guess currently it seems to be that way because listening is very important but also um, if you read uh, my syllabus and talked about the uh, three components of learning Um, writing and then uh, engaging is part of it. So you do have to write and read and then speak or engage. So you need to do all those things. So listening is hard. Everyone knows listening is hard. Our attention spans over the years have uh, diminished and it wasn't uh, 100 years ago. Uh, Audiences can sit and listen for a longer, much longer period of time to uh, speeches, presentations, those kind of things uh, without the aid of lights, flashing lights and shiny objects that we use today with uh, videos and, and uh, multimedia and PowerPoint and those kind of things. So our ancestors had a greater ability to um, sit and pay attention and focus and think uh, without being distracted. So our attention span has... Uh, definitely changed, um, lessened over the years. So, as a public speaker, uh, you need to be aware of that that it's hard to get someone to listen. It's hard to get an audience to continue to listen, and it's hard to get an audience to really uh, take the information that you're presenting and um, store it in some useful manner within their uh, their their mind, their <coughs> cognitive. Uh, locations. So you do have to as a public speaker uh, make sure that as you begin your presentation that you have, uh, you've tried to find a need that the audience has and you will do the best you can to meet that need during that short period of time when they are focused on the words coming out of your face. That's why it's very important to gain the audience's attention early on within the first few seconds of your speech. Gain the audience's attention because most audiences will resist listening and they will resist paying attention. It's an interesting phrase to pay attention. So I look at it from my perspective as a speaker. You. Um, In order to get your audience to uh, pay attention you have to uh, give them something and it has to be something that they believe is worthwhile something that they believe is important something that would benefit their lives and so you do have to uh, when selecting topics be uh, thoughtful and mindful of that what topic do I like what topic would they like and kind of find a way to synchronize those two thoughts Throughout the book, you see that uh, pinwheel that uh, is in various places in the book and that whole process of speech-making, audience-centered speaking, and that idea of selecting a topic is also connected to uh, this idea of listening. Uh, Certainly, there are some topics that you would be more interested in listening to. Others, um, you would just not. I mean, sometimes you hear the topic and you're like, I can't wait to hear that. Sometimes you hear the topic and you're like, oh my gosh, I've heard that before. I don't want to hear that again. Or I just don't like that idea. So you will tune out. The hard part is for most new speakers is that the audience will look uh, often the same. Those that are interested and those that are disinterested. Those that are excited to hear what you have to say and those that um, don't want to hear what you have to say. And it's hard to really know the difference between those audiences. So that so this idea of uh, preparing your audience to listen and creating a a, uh, an interesting introduction gain the audience's attention share your thesis give them a preview highlight what you're going to say and then um, stay organized follow that plan follow that blueprint and throughout the speech Uh, try to engage your audience members so that they will have a hard time uh, not listening. One of the advantages of keeping constant eye contact when you're doing presentations in person, it's much much harder to look away or not pay attention when you you are presenting with your head up and you're looking your audience members in the eye. It's very difficult for them to look away and makes it much Um, more difficult to not pay attention so as a speaker you owe the audience something as an audience member they owe the speaker something the audience owes the speaker the uh, they owe them their due attention and the speaker owes their audience um, something that is uh, valuable so that they can decide to exchange their time for your information. So there is, um, in a sense, a transaction. I'll give you my time if you give me something worth that. So whatever you give them, it must either equal or exceed the value of the audience's time. So they will pay attention and you will give them something that's worth that time. And time is a very valuable commodity. Uh, In life, you can earn more money, but you can never earn more time we all get 168 hours a week and about um, a little bit less than half of that you spend uh, sleeping so the waking hours so if you have 168 hours a week so you have 24 hours a day and then you may spend eight hours of that a day so really you have 16 maybe hours to be productive so all humans especially busy humans um, time is a valuable commodity and they want to make sure that if they give someone their time that what they get back is equal to or greater value than their um, determination or their estimation of what their time uh, costs when you go to work you get paid a certain hourly wage so Your employer expects you to do certain things and in return they will pay you a certain hourly wage. Some uh, hourly wages are low, some are mid, and some are high. And of course those are relative, but the idea is the more that you earn, the more the greater value you have for the organization. So if you work for a company, the greater your salary in theory, the uh, greater the value of the things that you produce whether it's something physical or something intellectual. So use that analogy as a public speaker. Okay, so that is the introduction uh, to chapter five, listening. So listening is the complex process of selecting, attending to, understanding, remembering, and responding to verbal and nonverbal messages. Select a sound, attend to it, understand it. We understand something when we create meaning or we assign meaning out of that experience. Remembering to recall the information. And then finally, responding. So when listeners respond, they react to what they've heard with their behavior. For example, it could be that you want them to simply remember and be able to restate your ideas, or you may want them to go do something, for instance, vote. So I'm on page 60 right now. So ultimately, when you present to an audience, you want them to be uh, better, want them to be different, and you want them to, um, in some cases, act in a particular way, or at least minimally think in a particular way. That's the responding part. Okay, overcoming barriers to effective listening. We have listener fatigue. We have personal concerns. We have outside distractions. We have prejudice. And we have the differences between speech rate and thought rate. So, listener fatigue. Listening researchers have developed what they call the working memory theory of listening, which explains why we sometimes just don't listen well. The theory suggests that when a listener's capacity is reached, or their memory is full, using a computer analogy, then it's harder to concentrate and remember what they hear. Although the theory suggests that there's nothing that you can do either as a speaker or as a listener to manage this problem, the strategies described here will help for sure. Um, it is an interesting theory if you use the idea, an analogy of a computer file that is full uh, versus a brain that is full, although I think that idea uh, breaks down because I'm not sure you can uh, fill your brain memory, at least cognitively. So, but. Uh, It it is, um, but the idea of listener fatigue is an important concept. Certainly if your audience is tired, they're overwhelmed, they're less likely to be motivated to even want to listen. Next, personal concerns. It says um, wherever we go, we take um, our personal concerns with us, whether it's a classroom setting or listening to speeches or presentations. And so we do have to find a way to... um, compartmentalize some of those personal concerns, at least for a short period of time. Some of those are quite overwhelming and sometimes it's hard to compartmentalize those and set those aside. But in order to listen, uh, you certainly will have to do that at some point. It says what you can do as a speaker, focus on maintaining your audience's attention using, a, using occasional wake up messages, which is a good, a good tactic here. Such as, now listen carefully because this may affect your future or your grade or whatever. I like that. What can you do as a listener? Stay focused. To stay focused, you must stop the mental conversation you're having with yourself about your ideas that are unrelated to the speaker's message. Yes. Okay, next is outside distractions, certainly. There could be some noise or something happening. Um, Phones, texting and buzzing and those kind of things are all part of uh, either personal distractions because some people are obsessed with their phones, obsessed with information and that creates a certain anxiety and even during a presentation they can't either physically pick it up and look at it or ignore it um, and that that could happen or even an outside distraction could be a phone uh, either ringing or buzzing or text dinging going off but uh, those are also um, distractions it says prejudice. Sometimes we make snap judgments about a speaker based upon his or her appearance, and then we fail to listen to their ideas. It's true that oftentimes the uh, the external component of of a speaker uh, during a presentation, whether it's something they wear, their hair, whatever, can get um, can create a challenge to listen for sure. So you do sometimes have to just um, as those feelings of prejudice rise up, you just have to kind of uh, try to make sure that you're being as honest and give that person the benefit of the doubt and and be able to listen to what they have to say. Differences between speech uh, speech rate and thought rate. It says here most people speak at 125 words a minute. Uh, I think I speak at about 170, much quicker. But the truth is your brain can, um, it says here, even up to 10 times faster, process uh, the speech rate. So our brains can process very quick um, speaking for sure. It says, what can you do as a speaker? Just talking faster won't do much good. Even if you could speak 200 words a minute, your listeners um, would still want you to talk about four times faster than that. So um, you have to find, uh, most, I over the years I haven't found much of a challenge with uh, speech rate. Slower is probably uh, more difficult for audiences to um, listen and um, engage because in their mind they may want to fill in the gaps or as you speak slowly they'll add words and then have to update as the words come out of the person's face that are speaking slowly. Uh, Speaking fast or faster is normally not a problem for audiences and uh, it's not unusual for students in the beginning of a speech to speak a little bit more rapidly because they're nervous but normally as the speaker uh, continues the speech they normally relax a bit and then kind of get back to their somewhat normal rate of speaking okay next on page 64 how to become a better listener listen with your eyes listen mindfully listen skillfully Listen ethically, so listen with your eyes as well as your ears. I think this is a a good point. You should be looking intently at the person presenting. That way you can also identify nonverbal behavior that will help to clarify the message as well. So listen with your eyes and um, that will help you to pick up the nonverbal cues that will help you make sense or create uh, a more accurate meaning of the words. Because nonverbal messages play such a powerful role in affecting how you respond to a speaker, it's important to accurately interpret what a speaker expresses nonverbally. A speaker's facial expressions will help you identify the emotions being communicated. A speaker's posture and gestures often reinforce the intensity of the specific emotion expressed. To increase your skill in accurately interpreting a nonverbal message, consider the following. Consider nonverbal cues in the context. Look for a cluster of cues. Look for cues that communicate liking, power, and responsiveness. It says, adapt to the speaker's delivery. Good listeners focus on the speaker's message, not only on their delivery style. To be a good listener, you must adapt to the particular idiosyncrasies that some speakers have. You may have to ignore or overlook a speaker's tendency to mumble, speak in a monotone, or fail to make eye contact. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, Some speakers may have some oddities that, um, as they present, their physiology may just present some obvious um, oddities that you'll have to work through, and I think this is a really good point to be a good listener. You do have to be uh, able to be flexible and adapt to the speaker's style of delivery. Some are more upbeat, some are more um, less upbeat, maybe more monotone, some are really expressive, Okay, next, it says, listen mindfully. Uh, Mindful listeners are mentally focused on the listening task. They put their own thoughts aside, are present mentally as well as physically, make a conscious, mindful effort to listen, invest time in listening, patiently letting the speaker make their point. And those are all good. Page 66, 67, listen skillfully. Besides being aware of the nonverbal messages and being mindful, good listeners enact Certain behaviors that help them to stay focused and remember what they've heard. One, listen for major ideas. Two, practice listening. Three, understand your listening style. And then become an active listener. Um, In a classic study, both good and poor listeners were asked what their listening strategies were. The poor listeners indicated that they listened for facts such as names and dates. The good listeners reported that they listened for major ideas and principles. Facts are only useful when you can connect them to the principle or concept. That's a really good point. In speeches, facts as well as examples are used primarily to support your ideas. So that that is a good point there. Practice listening. You already do that. You listen a lot. So um, I think in most cases, you have a lot of practice listening. It says the reason that um, you may want to practice is that listening skills are not developed automatically. No, they don't. So, um, as you listen, just follow some of these strategies um, and I think that will help you practice. Understanding your listening style, and everyone has a listening style. It says relational, analytical, critical, or task-oriented. Those are at least four styles that you can listen. And depending upon the context, we may be more uh, relational, it may be more critical depending upon the context of the information relational oriented listeners <clears throat> if you're more comfortable listening to people express feelings and emotions you're more likely a relational oriented listener probably true task oriented task oriented listener wants people to get to the point analytical listeners if you reject messages because they don't have adequate evidence to support their loca- uh, their conclusions you're an analytical listener if you're a critical listener If you spend time evaluating the message you hear, critical listeners are comfortable listening to detailed, complex information, yet can focus on contradictions and inconsistencies in the information presented. Critical listeners are also likely to catch errors in overall reasoning and evidence and that are likely to reach a conclusion. So, for the informative speech and the two persuasives, critical listening is important and they give a pretty good definition. Uh, On the first speech, um, probably more relational-oriented listening, probably for your... um, Personal experience speech. Okay, listen ethically. An effective listener does more than just gain accurate information or understanding of the speaker's message. They also listen to be ethical. When participating in a communication event, an, eth- an ethical listener honestly communicates his or her expectations, provides helpful feedback, and expresses sensitivity to the differences and is tolerant of various opinions that will, will be presented by speakers. All right. All right communicate your expectations and feedback. As an audience member, you have the right, even the responsibility to enter a communication situation with expectations about the message itself and how the um, speaker will deliver it. On page 70, there's an excellent table 5.1, enhance your listening skills. And I recommend that you spend some time staring at that and try to gain a better understanding because that is a really good chart. Section 5.3, Improving Critical Listening and Thinking Skills. It says here, critical listening is the process of listening to evaluate the quality, appropriateness, value, or importance of the information you hear. While critical thinking is the process of making judgments about conclusions presented in what you see, hear, or read. Making judgments about the conclusions presented in what you see, hear, and read. The goal of a critical listener and a critical thinker is to evaluate information in order to make an informed choice. So ultimately, uh, if you're using this process of critical thinking and listening uh, when you're um, processing uh, a a presentation or information that's presented to you, ultimately, you're going to need to make a choice. You're going to make some decisions based upon it. And for our persuasive speeches, you will be asked to modify a behavior, a value and um, or an attitude and so you will have to uh, make some judgments about the conclusions that are presented in those speeches separating facts from inferences the ability to separate facts from inferences is a basic critical thinking and listening skill for sure facts are information that has been proven true by direct observation and uh, we'll talk about opinions in a bit but certainly most uh, students Especially young students have a very difficult time uh, discerning fact from opinion. And oftentimes they'll say that's a fact, that's a fact, that's a fact, and it is just an opinion. So oftentimes when we make critical judgments about information we hear or people, they are our opinions about that information or our opinions about that person. They are not uh, facts. An inference is a conclusion based on partial information or an evaluation that has not been directly observed. Most of the things that we uh, consider facts are probably inferences um, and or uh, opinions. All right. Evaluate the quality of evidence. Evidence consists of facts, examples, opinions, and statistics that speakers use to support their conclusion. So if you look on the speech evaluation form, which you may have not seen yet, because once we get to the informative and persuasive speeches, uh, you will see those, and uh, you have a copy of it in your syllabus for sure. It says here, evidence is, consists of facts, examples, opinions, and statistics. So if you want to defend or support uh, an idea, especially in a very uh, principled, effective manner, make sure you give us some facts, make sure you provide some examples. Some expert opinions and give us some statistics. Without credible supporting evidence, it would not be wise to agree with a speaker's conclusion. Without credible supporting evidence, it would not be wise to agree with a speaker's conclusion. So, if the speaker is just presenting their uh, feelings um, about an idea, their opinions about an idea, then it says here, without credible supporting evidence, it would not be wise to agree with a uh, speaker's conclusion. It may feel good, but it would not. Um, but without supporting evidence, uh, that conclusion uh, will not be something that would be reliable. OK, what should you listen for when you're trying to decide what evidence is credible? First, determine whether a stated fact is actually a fact. I think that's the biggest one. Uh, even when you read a newspaper, or read the read the Web newspaper or you listen to the news, um, a lot of a lot of information that's communicated whether it's in writing or orally through the news is uh, is not a fact it's an opinion so that is a really hard one for many young students in fact a lot of people in general to discern between a fact and an opinion so um, okay it says simply stated an opinion is a quoted comment from someone the best opinions come from reliable expert credible sources another kind of evidence often used especially with skeptical listeners is statistics. A statistic is a number that summarizes a collection of examples. That's true. On page 72 they have a, uh, this quick check box which is uh, something that you should kind of focus on. It says separating facts from inferences. Facts can be proven. Inferences are based on partial or unobserved um, evidence. Evidence includes facts, examples, opinions, and statistics. So, I think the most important point here is to be careful not to confuse a fact. Facts are information that's been proven true by direct observation. And although some things that we consider facts, you, me, us, haven't directly observed, we trust the people who directly observed them and reported them to us, right? Because I'm from Missouri, the show me state, so I'm like, okay, show me. So, if I say something as a fact, that's information has been proven true by direct observation. It doesn't mean that I observed it. It just means that uh, the person who observed it is a reliable credible source. And then again, just to compare and contrast an opinion, it says an opinion is a quoted comment from someone, a quoted comment from someone. So opinion is a quoted comment from someone. Uh, The best opinions uh, do come from reliable, expert, credible sources. So who are the experts? so depending upon the time that you're listening to this uh, there are all sorts of experts spouting all sorts of silliness but if a group of people decide that an individual is an expert and they they present them to the public as an expert uh, it doesn't mean that they are an expert uh, but the organization that puts them forth as an expert that's the people that we normally trust so if you fill in a news organization X whichever one you like or don't like and they have an expert that's going to tell us something that we should um, believe then um, their, their credibility the news organization who picked that person and called them an expert or agreed that they were an expert then you could see that their credibility is also on the line there's all sorts of silliness and nonsense being spouted by all sorts of people and the news who claim to be experts, and they're continually um, unreliable in their information. And in some cases, the news organizations keep bringing them back to spout more nonsense, even though the information that they presented has been obviously refuted and unreliable. So you do have to be careful because oftentimes we just believe source credibility, which means if news organization X. Uh, puts an expert, a quote expert out there and they provide information then uh, we as a listening uh, uh, public can then believe that information even though the expert is completely wrong and probably not an expert but the organization that puts them forward believes it. And so we don't always know what their motive, their motives are and their prior relationships are. So just be careful when quoting experts that they are actually experts at what they speak to because a lot of smart people um, sometimes comment on things that they have very little experience or knowledge of so a smart person A who's maybe an expert at biology is then asked to comment on something about economics and even though that they are generally a smart person and maybe an expert at biology um, they know nothing about economics and you see that a lot in the news uh, business so just be careful that is just a warning. Okay, that's going to that's gonna be the first half of uh, Chapter 5. I'm going to break it down into two parts. I just don't want to go past more than 30 minutes. Okay, so this is Professor Tofano, and I am going to uh, stop on page 72. This will be the first half of Chapter 5, and look forward uh, to listening to the second half. Professor Tofano, out.